welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. Scars. We hate to think about them, and no one wants them. But they are inevitable and part of the healing process, whether a wound is from an injury or a necessary surgery or something completely unexpected. Fortunately, most scars settle down satisfactorily over time. But what about those that change color or thicken or even grow larger? They can be unsightly and a source of insecurity. Or sometimes these problematic scars can be painful or itchy. So what can be done to help? In this episode, we welcome Dr. Andrew Vardanian to explain some treatment options for problematic scars, and he gives his philosophy on general care of normal scars as well. Listen to what he has to say. I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Andrew Vardanian, who is an academic plastic surgeon and on the faculty of UCLA. Welcome, Dr. Vardanian. Well, thank you so much for having me here. It is an honor to be interviewed by you and your oh. podcast group. So thank you for reaching out. You bet. Thank you. Well, I would love it if you first just explain for the listeners the breadth and scope of your own practice. Yes, I'm someone who's considered an academic plastic surgeon. So I work full-time at a uh, academic university setting where I'm working with medical students, residents, other faculty. We have you know, a very large tertiary medical center that I work, work at at um, UCLA Medical Center. And these views are all my own and not uh, the views of UCLA or any other hospital I may go to. Tertiary uh, medicine is more than a community and more than even a more complicated community hospital. So it's essentially hospitals that kind of do the most invasive procedures, technology operations for often the sickest patients mm -hmm. in the country. And there's a handful of these kind of tertiary uh, medical centers in the country. And UCLA is certainly one of the well-known ones in the, in the United States. You know, I am quite honored to be uh, on the faculty here at, at this institution uh, in plastic surgery. And the majority of my practice is reconstructive. I do about 20% cosmetic work and I think cosmetic work is very important to do because, you know, when we are working on cosmetic issues, it is, you know, trying to achieve, you know, the most normal and most aesthetically uh, optimized kind of appearances. And uh, often in reconstruction, we're faced with such difficult situations that, um, you know, the norm may just seem so far away. But um, I think it is very important to do some cosmetic at all times in order to 
preserve that uh, focus on aesthetic and what, mm -hmm. you know, a patient would really want to look like it in a ideal or perfect situation. So absolutely. It's a nice balance too. Well, we're here to talk about treatment of problematic scars. Uh, you know, they can be such a problem for some people, and certainly there's no perfect solution. So thank you again for discussing some of the options with us. But um, I just want to start with some of the basics. Could you explain what a scar actually is and how it differs from regular skin? Yeah. So, you know, a scar happens anytime there's any type of an incision, cut, scrape, wound, or break in the body. And most often we think of the scar on the outside of the body on our skin. So anytime there's any cut, any of these types of things that may happen, a scar is going to happen. And a scar is the result of the normal healing process. So our normal skin that has never been affected by any insect bite, acne, pimple, scrape, cut, is basically the epidermis and, and has just been ongoing since we were born. But a scar is the result of something that required healing by our body. It's a, it's a natural mechanism of our body to heal. And, you know, in the fetus, kind of in the womb, there's scarless healing, where if a cut or scrape happens there, there's, there is no scar at all. But after we're born, there's always going to be a scar. And it's a normal result of our healing process. Mm -hmm. And we think of scars on the outside of the body, but there are actually scars on the inside of our body as well. If someone has had an abdominal operation and there's what are called quote, adhesions, right. and, and these are kind of scars that can happen on the inside, or a patient has a breast implant placed, uh, there can be a scar that's created around it called a capsule, mm -hmm. and it can occur around anything that's placed in our body, but it's a natural process of healing, mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a spectrum of normal to abnormal. Mm -hmm. And the scar that occurs early on in the healing process is different than the scar that occurs or exists later down the road. So could you explain what scar maturation is and how long does that process typically take, do you think? Yeah, the scar is the result of the normal, you know, stages of wound healing with um, vasoconstriction and coagulation, proliferation and maturation. And we talk about the scar in terms of the maturation of a wound. And we use an estimated time of about 12 months for scar uh, maturation to fully occur. And this is just remodeling of the collagen in the scar tissue. As the scar ages, this remodeling continues its course and uh, it gives the scar the final visual appearance that we see. And an, a scar can look very red kind of in the beginning or in the middle of the healing process. And a lot of that may be from the increased blood supply to the tissue that was affected. And that increased blood supply creates a red appearance to the scar. But as the wound is fully healed, and the scar continues to remodel, that redness goes away as there's, you know, decreased in those small micro blood vessels, the angiogenesis on a very uh, microscopic level that occurs, and those improve and lessen, and the scar has a less red appearance. So we kind of use this 12 months as an estimate, but scar maturation can take two years in some situations. It can also 
possibly be fully mature at nine months mm-hmm. after after an operation or even sooner. It, there is definitely a range, yeah, uh, which is very dependent on our own genes. Yeah, and typically and hopefully, you know, a fully mature scar has faded color nicely and looks as good as it's going to look. <laughs> and sometimes that's not what we want still, but it's better than it was at the onset of the healing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So given that, how do you differentiate a normal scar from a problematic one? That's a great question. Medically speaking, there's two kind of large categories of abnormal scars. One is called a keloid. And that's what many people say, I have a keloid, I form keloids. Mm-hmm. A keloid is a very abnormal scar that extends beyond the borders of the actual incision, wound, or cut. It's almost like a living entity that grows and is actually bigger than the original insult to the skin. Mm-hmm. It's larger in size, it's thicker, and it grows beyond the borders. Mm-hmm. A hypertrophic scar, which is what I think most people think of as a when they're talking about an abnormal scar um, for themselves, um, you know, kind of thinking that it's a keloid, but a hypertrophic scar is actually thickness of the incision itself Mm -hmm. or or what the actual wound was that scar tissue itself is thicker, higher, but it's not wider than the actual insult. Um, And it's not something that continually grows and just continues to enlarge and enlarge like a keloid. A keloid is almost like a type of tumor, so to speak. It can yes. continue to grow, proliferate, and I'm sure everyone has seen some type of a photo of a keloid, but if you just look on the internet, you know, you're, I'm sure you'll get a, a thousand photos of someone with some massive pedunculated looking like mass on their ear, and that's basically what a keloid scar is. Yeah. So. It's something that just continues to grow yes. and grow. Sometimes you just can't believe how large they can be or how awful they can be in some situations. And those are such problems for people. And what about scar contracture? I'm thinking of situations where, you know, a wound wasn't closed, it was just allowed to heal in, or it was across a joint or something like Could you explain what a scar contracture might be? Yeah, a contracture is just the proliferation of a scar in an unfavorable way over a certain part of the body. So if a wound somehow opened or what we call dehiscence, it's split open Mm -hmm. after an operation and then it was allowed to just heal on its own at that point, it's obviously a lot wider than a fully closed incision would be. And if it is a wound that's on a particular part of the body, such as a joint, over the elbow, over the fingers, Mm -hmm. over the neck, certain parts of the body, it's considered a contracture when it's actually maybe pulling on the tissues in a way that may prevent someone from being able to fully move their neck Mm -hmm. if they had a burn injury on their neck, for example, or to fully open and close their fingers of their hand or their knee if they had a big wound that happened on their knee after like a knee replacement surgery or or a a trauma. Mm -hmm. So a contractor limits the range of motion over a joint. There are many causes of it, but it's, again, a process of the body trying to heal an open area of the dermis in a way that then becomes unfavorable with thickness and fibrosis. So can you ever completely eliminate a scar? 
Unfortunately not. I think that's one of the magic wishes we would all want to have is to completely eliminate a scar. But anytime a patient comes and wishes to have a scar completely removed and made to disappear, we have to be very careful to let people know that unfortunately they will always have a scar in the area of the injury no matter what with our current technology. And often the scar may be longer than the existing scar that exists, Mm -hmm. but it is not possible to completely erase or eliminate the scar. So our goal is really to try to improve the appearance of the scar or minimize the appearance of the scar with the various treatments that we have. Yeah, that's certainly one of the biggest goals I think most patients, you know, would want is to improve the appearance of their scar. Some patients have very symptomatic scars, which are, are mm. not necessarily cosmetic, yeah. but you know they really cause a lot of suffering for the patients. And for those patients... Itching and pain and that kind of thing. Yeah, they really want to reduce the symptoms from their scar. And a lot of patients with keloids, you know, obviously they very can be very disfiguring and very mm-hmm. unsightly and even you know just very horrific. For many patients, you know, they just create so much itching, so much discomfort, and aching that really removing those symptoms is the most important thing for the patient more than even the appearance of the keloid scar. So Mm -hmm. for many of those patients, those are some of the treatments that we do try to help with um, to help them with the symptoms from these specific types of scars. Makes sense. Well, so in general, what are some of the more traditional ways of treating problematic scars? So I like to think of it as non-operative and operative ways. Um, and then in terms of operative ways, maybe you know lesser invasive versus more invasive. So some non-operative ways that scars can be improved or kind of managed um, you know, after someone had an operation are using things like silicone sheeting, mm-hmm. liquid silicone, combinations of liquid silicone and sunscreen or sunscreen alone that that are zinc oxide uh, or sort of barrier based. You know, silicone has been probably one of the most popular treatments of scars in terms of helping the remodeling process. And um, the exact mechanism is not fully known, but um, there's many, many products on the market. But they seem to help. Yeah, we found a lot of the liquid silicone with sunscreen combinations seem to at least provide some improvement for uh, patients in, the, in their journey of mm-hmm. scar remodeling. Um, There are steroids that can be used. These can be injected or applied in a certain manner, and these can be used for more thicker, kind of red active scars, uh, maybe even the keloid scars uh, as a first line of treatment. So these are kind of more non-operative types. To get that scar to kind of calm down. Exactly. And sometimes the steroids are used to kind of help jumpstart that remodeling process, trying to just decrease the inflammation, the activity of a scar, which is part of that normal, you know, the phases of wound healing that occur, but it's kind of more of a bread and butter treatment that can be used. And then operative, but non-surgical, there are the different modalities of laser, light therapies, microneedling type techniques and things of that nature. You know, it's kind of like a large category, but it's not something that a patient would do on their own. It is something that a doctor or an expert would be working with them, but it's using these various modalities to help remodel the scar tissue, rehab the scar. So there's that category. We can talk a little bit more about that later if you'd like. And then there's the surgical, which is the operations, what you would think of cutting something out, Mm -hmm. reclosing it, 
Um, anytime you make an incision and you reclose it, obviously we're trading one scar for a new scar. Correct. And I always tell patients that we don't really know what the new scar is going to be like 100%, but we do hope that with these control techniques, um, it will be more favorable than what they currently may have. And and for some patients, they have a significant yeah. amount of improvement. They're they're super happy with it. And and others, you know, may have a more mediocre uh, result. And unfortunately, some of it is genetic. We can't really control certain things. But it's only if someone had a wound that split open and then we're able to close it up again in a more controlled manner, they're more likely to get a better favorable scar. Yeah, but you're right. There are some people who have a family tendency to form problematic scars, and that can be so difficult to deal with despite your best attempts. So, um, Well, let's talk a little bit more about some of the newer advancements you started to mention for scar treatment. You know, over the last couple of decades, there's a little bit of newer thinking about scar management with laser and radiofrequency and microneedling, et cetera. What is happening when we're, we're doing those treatments? You know, I think the reality is most people have no idea how most of these modalities help the scars. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> I mean, the research out there, and there's so many papers, but most of it are reports and series and anecdotal type things. And there really is so much information, both good and bad out there that's available. I really would counsel someone that, again, this is not medical advice, but these are all my own opinions, sure. but I would just counsel them that certainly... People can offer you many, many different things. You know, what is the likelihood of your scar disappearing completely? It's zero. But if you have the resources and you're willing to spend the time and things, you might get some improvement. How much improvement? It's hard to say. Yeah. I think a lot of it depends on the patient, their medical condition, their their skin. No two patients are alike. But there's many things. There are sort of the laser categories, something like a what's called a CO2 laser, mm -hmm. which is an old laser that was kind of the bread and butter laser for a long period of time. And then this became fractionated and has revolutionized sort of treatment for burn scars yeah. in terms of rehabbing burn scars, not so much making them look better, but making them softer. Yeah. And it's less contracted, maybe. And yeah. And it's done in combination with steroids, which can be applied both topically. Um, the lasers can be used as a medium to apply the, the drugs to the wound beds. So these are some, you know, the, these are kind of the newer things that have been going on over the last, um, you know, 15 to 20 years. Scar rehabilitation, subcisions of the scar, you know, breaking up scar tissue, using fat grafting with scars and scar release. These are kind of more of the newer modalities. You know, it's logical that there are adipocyte-derived stem cells, and using this with a scar may improve results and appearance. Mm -hmm. So bringing those cells into that tissue underneath the scar may actually start to get that scar to not only calm down, but to perhaps remodel in a favorable way. Exactly, exactly. You know, both the appearance, if there are contra depressions, things of that nature. It, if it's puckered or, you know, pulled in. Yeah, it can really help in, in many different ways. And then there are other things such as microneedling. It's been around for a long time. There's like the cosmetic microneedling. I'm sure if anyone's mm -hmm. gone to a Sephora or something like that, you know, they see all these rollers and people are like rolling their faces all the time. But the thought is that this is releasing some type of a, quote, growth factor or some type of molecule that is aiding with inflammation 
and mm-hmm. aiding with the body's response and release. And, you know, everyone will talk about this. Everything is causing collagen deposition, right? But what it is exactly, I don't think anyone really knows. But, um, you know, that's kind of the thought with the micro needling is it is creating little small injuries to the skin. And that is causing the body to regenerate. And that process in, in some controlled manner is actually creating a more favorable appearance to a scar. Mm-hmm. Then there's these growth factors, the PRP. Right, yes. That's platelet-enriched plasma. It's been called the elixir of youth, the fountain of youth. You know, we've all heard of the vampire facelift and this and that and all these things. And right. All the athletes having it injected in their knees and everywhere else and putting it in your hair and who knows what. But, um, you know, the thought is yeah. that there's something in the blood, some type of stem cell growth factor type molecule, protein, compound, and concentrating that and delivering it is helping prove certain things in some way. So there's tons of literature out there on all these things, but I would certainly take everything with a grain of salt. And sure. I think the expectation, you know, should not be that my scar is going to be like 99% better. Yeah. You know? Miraculous. Yeah. What about um, Botox, like micro doses of Botox to try to reduce some of the contracture? Yeah, it's a very logical extension of sort of the mechanism of it. If there is tension on the area, relaxing it can help create a more favorable appearance. And certainly, you know, uh, I mean, it's been known to help wrinkles on, you know, the dynamic wrinkles of the face, but certainly allowing the soft tissues around a certain area to be relaxed, you know, if they are under the control of a muscle that's, um, you know, kind of moving or contracting, it can help just allow the collagen to remodel in a more favorable way. Mm -hmm. So it is another one of these modalities that is discussed and talked about radio frequency as well with mm-hmm. microneedling and maybe with some micro botox applications and things and there's there's a lot of different concoctions and combinations of things that uh, many people you know are using uh, but i think these are kind of the more current you know endeavors to uh, improve scars for patients what are your thoughts about combination therapy then trying either simultaneous or sequential treatments to create perhaps a greater effect on the scar than a single modality? I certainly think there is an importance of using multiple modalities because there are many different factors that are involved in the scar Mm -hmm. and in scar remodeling. And I think if you are able to approach it from different directions, you're more likely to get a, a better final outcome. So you know, just a very simple approach to that are patients that have an open scar revision for something. And then afterwards, they do either a pulse dye laser to help decrease the redness of a scar, mm-hmm. or they're using, you know, a CO2 treatment to, to alter the scar, or they're using steroids topically or injected at periods of time. So these are some examples of, um, of using multiple modalities. And certainly, fat grafting, for example, is something that can also be added. And mm-hmm. You know, the, the other, the microneedling, PRP, RFA, these types of things, you know, I think the jury is still out on all those in terms of what uh, is truly effective, but sure. certainly uh, there are many uh, areas of active investigation. Yeah. 
Well, and sometimes you throw a lot of darts at the dartboard, one might hit the center. So, you know, who knows? Let's hope. Well, with all of these treatments that you're talking about, and when you have treated problematic scars, have you found it necessary to do multiple treatments? In other words, repeats of the steroid or the other modalities that you're using? Yeah, everything is pretty much tailored for the individual patient and the, and the scar that they have. But most patients need multiple types of applications for, you know, for the particular problem. It's, it's unlikely. It's not a one and done. One and done, unless it was a more straightforward situation where they had something, the wound was left open or split open. And then, sure. you know, there, it, there's some situations which are much more straightforward than that. But I seem to have the more complicated and more challenging situations arrive at my doorstep. Yes. Well, you get a good reputation. People are going to come to you. So that's, that's a compliment. Are there some situations where you have to explain that the amount of improvement to be expected is limited, or sometimes you just feel like you really can't do anything for a patient? How do you handle those situations? Yeah, unfortunately, I do. It's probably one of the worst parts of my job. You know, you have someone that's coming to you, you know, some of them have traveled from far away and, and you basically you're looking at something and you're, and you're telling them, I'm sorry, there's like nothing I can do to help you Mm -hmm. with it. And it's a really horrible feeling as a doctor to just, you know, to have to tell someone that, I mean, there's no real way to sugarcoat, but there's nothing really I can do to help you with this, you know, this horrible thing that you have. But I think really, you know, one of the big problems that bother people from scars sometimes is the color of it, Yeah, that the color is brown or darker than their normal skin or even lighter than their Mm -hmm. normal skin sometimes. And there's not much you can really do for that skin discoloration. You know, I'm not a cosmetic dermatologist. I'm sure some of those laser modalities may help Mm -hmm. some situations, but I suspect most of it, there really is not much that you can do. Yeah. And uh, that's really, it, it is a really frustrating part of this, of this specific field. But there are some patients with also horrific keloid scars mm-hmm. that there's just no reconstruction possible. It's just so extensive. Yeah. Short of removing it and skin grafting it. And even then at the borders of the graft, you're at risk. So Exactly, exactly. When you are treating patients with some of the multiple modalities we've discussed, what do you tell them about timing of expectations of improvement? In other words, do you tell them, hey, wait at least a certain amount of time before we consider this kind of a final result or before we consider another treatment? Or what is your typical flow? Certainly for any open scar revision, we I would use that one-year mark as kind of an example of what the scar might look like permanently. And in other situations, uh, you know, it might be a little bit sooner what the final result would look like if we're using some of the non-operative modalities, like a fractionated CO2 laser, mm-hmm. our final result is, you know, it's not going to take a year to know what it's going to look like. Yeah. And with fat grafting, I think within three months, you're going to see a lot of the difference in terms of a contour change that's necessary. And then you can pursue, you know, doing a procedure like that again. With steroids, it, some results can be apparent within a week mm-hmm. sometimes after the drug starts working, at least in terms of the symptoms. There may be symptomatic improvement quite rapidly. So it varies from scar to scar to patient sure. to patient. But. 
Are there any particular complications that you worry about in treating problematic scars, things that might occur after steroid treatments or laser treatments or, you know, what have you, even surgical treatments? Yeah, certainly, you know, we never want the scar to look worse, but that is unfortunately something that can happen. Yeah, right. You know, we always talk about that as a, it may not look the way someone wishes it to look. It's not likely for things to look worse, but it, you know, unfortunately, never say never, something could mm -hmm. potentially look worse. But steroids that we use, the triencinolone, for example, does have some risks of skin color changes, uh, atrophy of the fat, growth of telangiectasia, which is like these little tiny blood vessels that can make something look even more red in appearance. Mm -hmm. So the skin can be very thin. Um, I've seen some patients that were sent to me and they had like, so much steroid injected and then that I could actually see through their skin. I didn't think something like that was actually possible, but like you could see through their skin to the fat. I've never seen anything like that before. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. No one wants that. No. Well, how about on the opposite side of that? Do you recall any patients where you've really been able to help them with a problematic scar and how it changed their situation? Absolutely. There's been some patients that just had horrific scars from some really bad thing that had happened to them, yeah. either an operation that was just horrific or a trauma or an assault or something. And the psychological improvement you know, in addition to the aesthetic was just so rewarding to see that, oh, you know, that change. Yeah. And those are some of the joys that I have from doing this job. Um, and just some of the keloid patients that have these horrifically painful keloid scars and they're, you know, we manage them, we treat them. Mm -hmm. They're so thankful and it changes their life so much because that aching and pain from that scar is just gone permanently. And, uh, those are really some of the most rewarding situations. Those are really good days, yes. and for them especially. Now, we've been talking about problematic scars, but I'm curious what you typically tell, let's say you're just your routine cosmetic patients, what instructions do you give them for scar care after the procedure, and at what point do you have them start interacting with their healing scar? That's a great question. Uh, you know, you don't want a patient touching incisions too early because they're more likely to cause a wound problem to worsen the situation or cause an infection. Mm -hmm. I think three weeks is probably a safe starting point because most of the re-epithelialization is done in 48 hours, which is two days. And that still gives a few weeks after that for things to just settle. And it's not early in the sense of a scar uh, with regards to missing an opportunity to intervene on minimizing a scar. So I think at three weeks afterwards, I instruct patients to start doing some kind of scar massage in the area. There's microcirculation and just a, a very mild massage in the area of the uh, incisions and the scars uh, is one starting point of treatment. And then using the silicone sheeting, using the different topicals that have a combination of liquid silicone and sunscreen. Starting at about that time, I think, is it's a good time to start. And the silicone sheeting provides a coverage, but also maybe a little bit of gentle pressure, and maybe that makes a difference for people. Yeah, that is some of the thought with the silicone, is it? it is the structure of that molecule on the epidermis, dermis, and that contact is helping improve the scar. Mm -hmm. Great. 
Well, I know you can't predict the future, but what do you think is on the forefront for scar treatment, particularly problematic ones? Or what would you like to see if there were no limits in technology? Well, I could say maybe I would wish for there to be a new version of Harry Potter in which his scar has completely disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we could make up a great name with our wand (laughs) for that to occur. There's so many, uh, you know, famous scars out there, such as that character Scar from The Lion King, who, you know, was the evil brother. And and, uh, there's just a lot of famous scars out there. But what would I do? I think, I mean, if there's any way you could just have scarless healing, I think that would be everybody's primary wish to have scarless healing where you're able to spray or apply or sew something and then there's absolutely no scar whatsoever. Yeah. And then on existing scars, if there was a way to kind of cover it up, so to speak, there's different makeups, right, that exist that you put over something. and Oh, sure. You know, you just wish you had something topical that you could just even out the color, you know, just like we're doing something on a computer and sure. airbrushing. But if there was some actual modality to do that. Yeah. So it's not noticeable anymore because that's the biggest problem for most people is just how noticeable yeah. it is. So wouldn't that be great? Well, uh, the first one, at least, maybe not in our lifetime, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> well, it sounds like your approach to a problematic scar is to try to treat it without surgical intervention, maybe with topical things, and then progress to different modalities and then potentially surgery if things are not successful. You know, every scar on every patient is is unique. But, yeah, certainly you want to offer the least invasive type things that would have the highest result. But sometimes surgery is what they need. Yeah true sometimes you know you have to just go straight to that just operate and fix something is actually better than trying to do other things to it to help improve it and sometimes we can't fix it and that's one of the struggles as a doctor you know you want to fix things exactly sometimes you can't but um there are some options there at least for patients yeah do your best Well, thank you so much. I just wonder if you have any final thoughts or message for the listeners about scar treatment or about plastic surgery in general. I think for scar treatment, certainly there's a lot of people out there that will, you know, offer you the moon and back and all these types of things. And I think it's good to get other opinions and never, you know, just go with one opinion about something. I think it's important to get more than one expert's opinion about what is available to you and and to be realistic with things. I mean, certainly if someone is offering you something that sounds too good to be true, you know, it probably is. So I think, you know, it's a lot of it is common sense, but sometimes we want to hear certain things and, and we're, you know, and I think that's when patients can put themselves at risk when they are seeking what they want to hear. And going to reputable doctors, you know, the training, the credentials Mm -hmm. of their doctor is is legitimate and not basically going off of just social media uh, alone. Yeah. I think those are really some very important things. Yeah. Very good. Well, Dr. Andrew Vardanian at UCLA, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you so much. You gave us a lot of good information. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested 
And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.